0: All right, Haggai chapter 1. I'm going to pray and then we'll read verses 7 through 15 for today. Let's go to the Lord one more time. Our Father, we thank you for the mercy that we abide under right now. We just want to take a, a, a few seconds here and acknowledge that because you are kind and forbearing and gracious... And loving, we're not in hell. And uh, we're in the company of not only one another, but your Holy Spirit is here in our midst. So we want to magnify and praise and thank you for that. We ask as we look into this passage this morning that you would be pleased to so work in our hearts that we are convicted of sin that we are convinced of the righteousness of Christ and that we are comforted by his work so that we might be spurred on to the work you've given us to do. And we ask for this in Jesus' name and God's people said, amen. Amen. Haggai chapter one, verse seven, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. I've called for a drought on the land and the hills and the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Shiltiel, the governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehoshadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. So last week, we were introduced to this book and, and looked at the first six verses, and Basically, took note of three things, if if I were going to try to condense last week's message into three points. Number one, we looked at the historical context of Haggai. We saw from uh, Ezra and Nehemiah that what had happened was after the exile into Babylon or the period of Babylonian captivity, the people had been sent back when Persia overthrew the Assyrians. The people had been sent back to Jerusalem and had been tasked with rebuilding jerusalem and specifically the temple they had started that work um, and then there were adversaries who rose up from north of jerusalem who came and wanted to participate in the building and people keep looking up there i'm afraid that i'm missing something sorry Um, wanted to participate in the building but were prohibited because they were not jews so those people had sour grapes and wrote to the king um, in, in uh, Persia and said, you better stop these Jews because you know how they get. Once they've got their city back, they're, they're going to do all their Jewish stuff and stop contributing to the kingdom, and they'll, they'll rebel. And so the king, not Darius at that point, uh, he had been replaced wrote and stopped the work and said, you guys can stop the work by force if you need to. So the work stopped. It was providentially hindered. There was a real legitimate threat to the people in Jerusalem, and they stopped the work. The problem is, 16 years later, after the threat had passed, they still had not begun the work again. Um, The application that I made there was here... work began 10 years ago, and it's been providentially hindered uh, for a multitude of reasons. People have come and gone. Leaders have come and gone. I couldn't even get a count for how many pastors there have been here since the the inception of Springfield Church. Um, And there are folks, maybe not here in this room, maybe, but there are folks who would say, "Ah, it's not yet time. It's not time. To start the work in Springfield yet. it's We're not there. It, the season's not right. The economy's not right. The resources aren't ready. In the same way that there were those who were putting off the continuing of the rebuilding of the temple in Jerusalem, there are folks who would say, uh, we, we need to take more time. We need to put energy and resources towards something else. Second, in Haggai, in response to that attitude, God tells the people to consider their ways. So What I asked is, when have we ever found satisfaction in our own enrichment? When have we ever gathered up enough that it was enough, where we were satisfied? We're like, now I'm okay. I know Dave Ramsey has a number, and you feel like once I hit that number, I'll be okay. And I assure you, you won't be. Because if God wants to blow it away, he can blow it away. And if you think that your homeowner's insurance will solve that problem, you're wrong. It won't. God does what God wants to do, and we will never accumulate enough in the way of peace and prosperity to just be at ease. Because God has put something into us as his people that makes us long and yearn for the satisfaction of seeing the kingdom of God expanded. And the way that we do that, according to the book of Acts and the example set forth by the apostles, is by doing this. So consider your ways when have you ever accumulated enough um, third and finally, we were considered we were we were exhorted rather to consider our ways as it applies to the church specifically um, you you can I think you can make a distinction from your personal walk and well, between your personal walk with Christ and your walk with Christ in the family of God, all right? So putting aside your personal walk, which is the was the second point, consider your ways. Let's consider our ways as a body. And I realize we're pretty new. We're all still kind of figuring this out. It's a different place for some of us. It looks different for others of us who've been here for a long time. But consider your ways as it, as it applies to church life. As much as as we can make that distinct from our personal walk and then answer these questions, have we sown much and harvested little in church life? And I think all of us could say if we wanted to, yeah, I've given a lot of time and energy and money and resources and vigor to the work of building up the church. And for the most part, I could say it's amounted to dust and ashes. You get a little burned out on church that way, right? Come on. We can be honest with each other. It's okay. I'm not trying to trick you into admitting it so I could be like, don't count on them. That's not the goal here. What we're trying to do is acknowledge truthfully. Like some of you have come up in this context. You've grown up in the context of a church plant that just couldn't get off the ground. So you missed out on what it means to grow up in church. Well, as someone who grew up, grew up in church, let me tell you, you haven't missed out on anything. Because it's the same in an established church. Your Sundays are preoccupied with things that may be meaningless to you, as are your Wednesday nights, as are sometimes a whole week out of your summer. The adults here who have been toiling away and the rest of us who were toiling away elsewhere might be tempted to say, it's amounted to jack squat, I'm burned out, I don't want to do this anymore. But I'm saying we need to consider our ways as it relates to church life. Because in many respects, we're now beginning to pour the enthusiasm which we should have for God's work into things which are passing away. And we cannot do that. You cannot do that. You can't go, I've had enough church. It doesn't work. He didn't make us like that when he saved us. When we aren't engaged in in the work of, of building the kingdom of God, what I've found, and hopefully you will all add your amen, is that even the things that you enjoy outside of the context of the church, your hobbies, your, your pleasures, those things start to turn gray and tasteless and meaningless. Because you need this. this is, it's, it's built into us when we get saved to do the community thing. All right? So I, I then... I promised you that I wasn't after your money pastorally now I'm the interim pastor here. So what it sounds like is I've trotted out the book of Haggai, and the next thing you're going to see is one of those painted temperature thermometer things, <laughs> because we're trying to raise money to build a building. And that's not what I'm after. I don't want that. What I'm after is what God's after, which is your satisfaction, which is only going to be found when you hold things in balance. Do you need to do personal care and soul care and emotional health? Yes, for you. Absolutely. Do you also need to do this? This. Yeah, absolutely. Then I said the greatest basis for risk is relationship. So you'll take greater risks for people that you know well, right? Like parents, you'll you'll take greater... Thanks, Gary. You'll take greater risks for your kids because you love them and care about them. You'll do things for them that you may not do for the neighbor kids, right? Because there's relationship there. So what I'm suggesting is that the reason we're a a, a bit skeptical and the reason that we're reluctant to take this risk to whatever degree we are and i'm not accusing anybody of anything i'm just saying i know it's there i know the feeling is there like this is risky and i'm not sure that i want to be all in the reason for that is not because we need to do an economic study and decide that the time is right the reason that you're skeptical and the reason that you're holding back in your heart is because you need to get this relationship between you and jesus a little bit more ironed out Mm -hmm. And then you'll have the right basis for making this risk. So Haggai 1.7 says, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways, go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and, and I may be glorified, says the Lord. So I'm, I'm not interested in a building. Understand this because I don't want anybody here to be confused. Um, <clears throat> I don't look, I don't care where we meet. I don't. We'll find a spot if we grow out of this, but we don't have the funds available to to make it a little bit bigger and a little bit more comfortable. We'll find a spot. It, It doesn't matter to me what it looks like or how many hours ahead of time we have to show up to make it ready for us to meet. We'll find a spot. I'm not, I'm not, I don't care about building buildings. I would love to have a building with stained glass windows, a pipe organ and a choir, but if that's the goal, I'm not your guy. I'm just not. However, if that happens, if that happens, I'm okay with it. Look at Matthew 12, 1 through 6. It's not very far to the right from where we're at right now. Matthew 12. At that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. Matthew 12, 1. His disciples were hungry, and they began to pluck heads of grain and to eat, but the Pharisees saw it. And they said to Jesus, look, your disciples are doing what's not lawful to do on the Sabbath. What What does that mean? Well, that means the Pharisees were very good at keeping the letter of the law, like a lot of Christians, right? We're good at keeping the letter of the law, but the Spirit's kind of been subtracted. So you can't work on the Lord's Day, which means you can't walk more than so many paces in your house, let alone out in the grain fields, plucking heads of grain and eating them. That's definitely harvesting and that's work. And you go straight to hell for that. So that's their point. He said to them, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him, how he entered the house of God and ate the bread of presence? This is a little bit of background. What happened there is when uh, it was, um, I think the last time David was fleeing for his life from Saul, he uh, he took refuge in the uh, in the tabernacle where there was a, a table with the show bread that was set out as an offering to God and it got changed out every time it got cold so that there was always a pleasing aroma in the tabernacle of the show bread well David and his men go in they're fleeing for their lives he is God's anointed king and he tells the high priest in the tabernacle give me the show bread and they take it and they eat it which was like A big no-no but in certain situations jesus's point is you got to put aside the formality and do what's necessary to survive okay so he, he he entered the house of god and ate the bread of the presence which is not lawful for him to eat nor for those who are with him But only for priests. Or have you not read in the law how, on the Sabbath, the priests in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless? Meaning, it's okay for them to work. It's okay for them to do things that have been expressly forbidden in the ceremonial law. All right, stay with me, because there's a point, and it's right here, verse six. I tell you something greater than the temple is here. This is this is Jesus possibly the, 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 the thing that he pressed home the most with the Pharisees is you guys need to stop being preoccupied with this building, the temple, and begin to be preoccupied with this person who is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And he's talking about himself. Jesus is talking about himself. I'm greater than the temple. So when I say I'm not worried about building a building, please trust me as we work through Hagia One of the reasons that I'm saying that is because If you think I'm preoccupied with blowing out this wall and taking over the volleyball court, you're not going to listen to the really essential thing that I'm trying to communicate with you. And that is we need to be about building the temple, the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit on earth, which is people. Luke chapter 21, 5 and 6. Don't turn there. Just listen or we're going to run out of time. While some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, for all these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. It's not that Jesus didn't have any value for the temple. It's that he wanted people to understand the building itself is insignificant in the economy of mercy. We're not studying Haggai because I think we need a nice building. All right, so back in Haggai 1, verse 7 again, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways, go up to the hills, bring wood and build the house, that I may take pleasure in it, and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Look at verse 8 and answer this question in your own mind. What is the priority? Look at verse 8. And answer this question in your mind. What is the priority? Go up to the hills, bring wood and build the house. Or that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Well, we know the answer. The reason we're doing this is so that God will be glorified. Not so that we can have a big, beautiful building. First Peter 2, this is worth turning to. First Peter chapter 2. Verse four. This is talking about you. If you are a believer, if you're a Christian, this is talking about you, okay? As you come to him, a living stone, that's Jesus, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We are, and I know this isn't news to most of you, we are the building blocks. We are, the people are the building blocks of the church, the, the dwelling place of God. That's us. We're the building blocks. We are the stones that make that up. Now, if Haggai 1.8 tells us that the priority of the building of the church is the glory of God, then it stands to reason, look right at me, the glory of God is, if you're not looking at me, I don't think you're listening, the glory of God is seen in the church. Now, let's all stop being incredulous for just a second, those of us who've been to church before. <laughs> the glory of God is seen in the church, which is made up of... Yeah. <laughs> That's a little hard to believe. I think the reason that it's hard to believe is because we don't have a good understanding of what it means for us to be the expression of the glory of God because the church by and large isn't doing what it's supposed to be doing in our culture. And I'm going to fix it. No, (laughs) I don't think I'm going to fix it, but I think we can lay a really good foundation right here, right now. So here's what I've done. Uh, I am not good at sloganeering. I am not uh, very original so what i try to do is go out and capture things that other people have come up with put my own spin on it and then act like it was my idea All right. in this case i can't because this comes from a man who is incredibly dear to me who's discipled me in the gospel over the last 15 years more than anybody else. And when he planted his church in Baltimore in 2009, he came to me to get me to record all of the videos that he was going to use to disciple this church once he got there and started it. And he had this series that he did, and I'm sitting there videoing and editing this, where he had what he called the three D's of a healthy church. And here's what he said you have to do. Number one, you have to draw to Jesus. That's the first priority. We have to all draw to Jesus. Number two, you have to develop in community, which means all of us have to be doing this. We have to be getting close together. Number three, you deploy to the culture. So you take your relationship with Christ, your relationship with one another, and you go out into a lost and dying world and proclaim the excellencies of him who has drawn us out of darkness into light. Number four, which he didn't have, which I'm adding to make this mine, is we display the glory of God. That's what happens as a result. So the thing that's not on that list is a building or a checking account. It's just not there. If we build a building to use for the purposes that I just identified, draw to Jesus, develop in community, deploy to culture, display the glory of God. If we build a building to do that, awesome. I think that'd be great. I think that'd be a lot of fun. You guys agree? But if it doesn't happen, I don't care because the priority and the purpose is those four things. How do we do that? How do we draw to Jesus, develop in community, deploy to culture, and display the glory of God? Look back at Haggai chapter 1 verse 9. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? declares the Lord of hosts. Because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, the earth has withheld its produce, and I've called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, on the new wine, the oil, and on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast and on all their labors. We have to restart the work. That's what they needed to do. And I'm sorry, but the similarities between Springfield Baptist Church and the, the remnant in Israel in 530, 520, I guess, B.C., are stunning to me because the work here started and then it stopped. And I don't know how long it's been stopped. Like we could argue about when it stopped and how many times it's been restarted, but we have to start it again. What happened in Jerusalem is is so precisely illustrated by what has happened here. I almost can't believe it. And the temptation will be for all of us to be like this is nice. Every Sunday we come here. This is nice. We get to sing a little bit. We get to spend some time praying. We get to listen to James holler and yell and spit all over his iPad for 40 minutes. And then we get to go home and we we did the church thing. This is nice. We might be tempted to do that and then in the process get preoccupied with building our own houses. What's the problem with the church in our culture? I suspect that too many Christians are preoccupied with building their own houses. And you can apply that A variety of ways but if your priorities are a mess suffice to say you are preoccupied with building your own house and not preoccupied with building this one and I'm not talking about a physical building okay why did Jesus come why did Jesus live why did Jesus die why did Jesus rise again Because if you're going to draw to Jesus, you need to know those things. Why did he come? Why did Jesus? He came literally because God wants to be in communion with his people. So he wrapped himself in flesh and came down and hung out with his people. Top of the list of priorities. I want to commune with my people. So I will go into the filth and the squalor and the sin of humanity, and just abide with them so that they know, I want to be with them. How do you draw to Jesus? First, you've got to recognize the priority is for you to commune with him. You've got to be in his word. You've got to be in prayer. It has to happen. Second, why did he live? He lived so we could have the obedience that God has provided for us. This supplies the imputation of righteousness. If Jesus doesn't come and live perfectly obedient to God, we don't have any righteousness to lay claim to because we certainly aren't doing it, right? Why did he die? He died so that our sins and failures could be punished. This is, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says... God made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So God gives to us his righteousness, takes from us our sin, deals with it on the cross so that we can have communion with him in Jesus Christ. He rose again to demonstrate that that work had been accomplished. Do we understand that? Are you in communion with your Creator? Do you understand that he bore your sin? He carried your sin so that you could bear his righteousness. And do you understand, look at me, he's not dead. He's seated at the right hand of God making intercession for you right now. Because he loves you. He loves you. If we're going to plant a church, we have to start with a core group of people who are genuinely, constantly, and consistently drawing near to Jesus. I can't pastor a church full of people that don't believe in Jesus. We can't grow a church that isn't full of at least the core group of people, which I think is us, drawing near to Christ desperately. You want to see something fail? Start a church with a bunch of unbelievers. Tell them how wonderful they are. Ask them for money. Build a giant 25,000-seat cathedral where people get deceived every Sunday. And then wait for the judgment of God. I don't want to do that. We also can't plant a church without a core group of people who are diligently communing with Jesus. We don't need to be super saints, but we need to be in regular communion. Look at me. If you don't pray... And you haven't prayed in a minute, you're not communing with God in Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And I need you to be doing that. And you need me to be doing that. And we need one another to be doing that so that this thing in its foundation will be strong. Mm-hmm. So when the Holy Spirit says, Hey, right now, might be a good time to pray, don't ever think, I don't know about that. <laughs> because it is. And it doesn't like you don't have to be Martin Luther about it. Just pray. Just be like, Lord. Thanks for this day and all the blessings that have attended it. Please help me to recognize that you love me and help me to see it and and then act like it in my day-to-day encounters with people. In Jesus' name, amen. Like, that's it. That's a start. That'll do. Do that. Do that. Commune with Christ. Now, from there, we move to what could be argued is the more challenging part. Look at the next Verse verse 9, you looked for much. Behold, it came to little. When you brought it home, I blew it away. Why? Because you're not taking care of my house. You're taking care of your own house. So the people were preoccupied with their own interests, their own houses. And I get the sense that it wasn't because they didn't care about God. It wasn't because they didn't care about being obedient. I mean, they were still sacrificing weekly like they were supposed to. They had built the altar. It just didn't have a roof over it. They were paneling their houses before they would put a ceiling on God's. So they kept gathering wood, and it kept getting termites. They kept building pools, and he sent drought. They planted seeds, and he dried the soil. They went to harvest, and it was full of worms. I have argued already that building the church means drawing to Jesus, developing a community, deploying to culture, and displaying the glory of God. We're committed to drawing to Jesus, Right? <laughs> we are committed to drawing to Jesus, right? Yes. Okay. Step two is way harder. <clears throat> way harder. Developing community. What stops us from developing a community? Well, we're fine. We have our families. You don't need a community if you've got a nice big family. Doug doesn't have a nice big family. What stops us from developing a community? We're busy. We have a lot going on. We don't have time for community. Is that right? Or are your priorities kind of a wreck? What stops us from developing community? We have a hard time trusting people. We're protecting ourselves. We've been hurt before. That stops us from developing in community. Communities are dangerous. Sounds to me like, and I'll be the first one to admit, like I don't sit and think of you guys and come up with stuff like that. I sit and think of myself and come up with stuff like that. It sounds to me like we're busy with our own houses. We're planting gardens in a drought, and it sounds like we're paneling our houses instead of building God's. Listen, we aren't going to be hospitable with strangers. We are not going to be hospitable with strangers if we can't invite one another over for coffee. Do you understand that? We're not going to woo visitors if we can't look one another in the eye. And, I mean, there's a part of me that thanks God. He, he, he put people in my path that counseled me to keep the doors closed when we started here. Because I don't think we're ready. I'm not saying all of you. Some of us aren't ready for the weirdos that are going to come through there when we when we finally hang the shingle and say we're open. <coughs> you want to see weirdos plant a church? Because they they know they smell it. They're like, oh, church plant. They're desperate for people. They'll put up with me, and here they'll come. And if we haven't developed this community, how are we going to embrace that and change that and love that and support that and encourage that and grow that? We can't. This community has to develop. We have to push past our preferences and trust God with the risks. I know family time is precious. Believe me, my children are gone by the time I get up in the morning. And it's not because I'm a deadbeat welfare dad. It's because I'm working from the time they get out of school until midnight. I know how precious family time is. It would make more sense for us to stay home on Sunday and have some family time together. If that were the priority. But it's not the priority. Do you hear what I'm saying? That's not me going, "Mm, feel sorry for me. We're good, right? We're fine. We're doing okay. The kids get it. Pray for my job to to change schedule. Acts chapter 2. By the way, Roy, thank you for reading and praying this morning. Acts 2, we're going to look at verse... Forty-six. Day by day, they were attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Does that sound like this community? Think about it. Does that sound like This community, because I don't think it does. But I want it to. I think we're facing the right direction. Don't get me wrong. You guys are horrible. I don't mean that. We're facing the right direction, but we got to start moving. Because I want it to be like that. And I think that's the way you have a healthy church. So, back in Haggai 1, verse 12, then the Zerubbabel. Joshua and all the remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message I am with you, declares the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, uh, the spirit of Joshua. The spirit of all the remnant of the people. And they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God. And on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. They just started obeying. No research required. They went to work. You know what I want for us? I want verse 13. The messenger of the Lord, Haggai, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. I am with you, declares the Lord. I want the Lord to be with us. That's what I most desperately want. And it seems to me that the thing we need to do if we want the Lord to be with us, does this make sense to you if we're going to imitate them? The thing we need to do if we want the Lord to be with us is just get to work. Just start doing. We're going to draw to Jesus. We're going to develop in community. Let's get to work. Let's see how that's going to happen. Let's unfold our arms, take our hands out of our pockets Give a shake, a hug, a hi, how are you? Let's invite somebody over, like take some risks. You draw to Jesus and I draw to Jesus. It's a whole lot less risky for us to draw than to one another, right? Because we're going the same direction anyway. So it should just kind of happen. And then as we take the risk of loving one another and caring for one another, we'll be doing the work of building the church, with the spiritual living stones that he builds it with. When service gets over in a few minutes, this is just a suggestion. I'm not a legalist and I don't give assignments at the end of my sermons. But when service gets over in just a few minutes, here's a suggestion. Um, It's a small crowd this Sunday morning. This probably would have worked better if I waited to suggest this until next Sunday. We'll do it we will do it two or three Sundays in a row. Just a suggestion. You don't have to do it. Okay? We're good with that? It's just a suggestion. Yeah. Find somebody in this room that you wouldn't normally do this with. Say hi. Make sure you know one another's names. And ask how you can be praying for each other. And you're all like, okay, no problem. I can do that. But then... Then I'm suggesting right here, this morning, after you find out how you can be praying for them, just sit down together and pray. Real quick. doesn't have to be, again, it doesn't have to be Lutheran. Just pray a couple sentences. Whatever's going on with them, whatever's going on with you, pray together about it. And let's get in the habit of being a church that prays together. The husband and wife that pray together, stay together. How much more so is that going to be true of a church? We don't have to live with each other. Like, you don't have to deal with my toothpaste habits. <laughs> you just have to deal with me on Sunday right now. Just a suggestion. It doesn't need to be long, but I want the Lord to be with us. And it looks to me like as soon as the people listened to Haggai, that's exactly what happened. That's when the Lord said, I'm with you. The temptation is to say, okay, well, let's put together a plan and do an outline and James will have a presentation on the TVs and it'll be fancy and we'll have, we'll start planting our church. No, we we put all that aside. Let's just, let's just love each other. Let's just develop in community. And then you know what I think will happen? I think if we're drawing to Jesus individually and corporately, and we're developing in community corporately, you know what I think will happen? I think the culture will begin to notice that there's something going on here. And we'll be deploying the culture. We'll be taking the gospel out to a lost and dying world and changing hearts and minds. And then you know what I think will happen? I think the display of the glory of God will be happening as well. He'll he'll show his glory through us. I want the Lord to be with us. So I wonder, if we take another step toward developing in community right here this morning, would we get some sense, some greater sense than we've had heretofore of the presence of God in this place? Don't worry, I'm not going to veer into a healing service I'm just saying I really want to know what that would be like because I haven't experienced it in quite some time at church. An additional sense of the presence of God in the place. And then I wonder if we wouldn't be more stirred up when we leave here to deploy to the culture. Do you guys want to try it? Amen?